Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, listen to what you about the episode. If there's a particular guest or topic you'd like to have on, we're always checking your comments on there and love to be able to get them on the future episodes. Today, I'm going to be joined by attorney Stuart Cables, and I'm going to be asking him for his summary of what just happened with Cummins and the EPA and the huge fine that they just got, where it came from what they were doing, and what the aftermath might be from it. So I'm definitely looking forward to chatting with him today. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you, our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a 40% off MSRP code for you. If you use code 2024-DIESEL40 at kershaw.kaiusa.com, it's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you need a knife for hunting, fishing, EDC, around the job site, around the house, they've definitely got you covered. They have a whole bunch of different choices for budget, um, blade steel, blade design, handle design, tons of different things. So definitely make sure head on over to their website, check them out. Use code 2024 diesel 40 for 40% off MSRP. All right, let's get to today's podcast with Stuart Cables and talking about the huge settlement that Cummins just had with the EPA. Stuart, welcome back to the podcast. I, uh, I say this every time you're on that I enjoy our chats, but I really do because they're so informative and knowledgeable. And today's major topic is the, uh, the fine that Cummins got. Um, by the EPA. A lot of people have had questions about it. They wanted us to cover it. There's a lot I don't know, a little bit that I do know. I thought it'd be great to have you on since this is right down your wheelhouse, what you deal with you know, all the time are you know, diesel companies, um, emissions issues with the EPA. So welcome back. Look forward to learning from you today. Yeah, my pleasure to be back. You know, I always enjoy coming on your podcast and educating the listeners and the viewers. Um, and I'm happy to talk about the Cummins settlement. It's an interesting one for sure, but whatever you guys want to know, I'll do my best to answer the questions. For someone who maybe just saw the headlines of it or saw something on Instagram, like a post, and they didn't really dig too far into it. What's kind of the summary or, or the, the, the basics of, of what happened? Yeah. So um, Cummins has been under scrutiny for quite some time. Uh, the settlement or court case has been a while in the making, and it's a it's a civil settlement. So it's not the criminal uh, world, uh, which I think, considering our past discussions, has been important to know. Yeah. But um, basically, what happened was. There was a suspicion that something along the lines of the Volkswagen uh, tuning scandal was happening uh, with Cummins and with uh, uh, Fiat Chrysler Ram vehicles, but we didn't really know, uh, or or I should say that CARB and the EPA couldn't really prove that that was happening for you know quite some time. So the settlement itself, the court case, there was a complaint filed. The court case was, uh, you know, happening the investigation for quite some time. And then finally, uh, you know, the parties were able to reach an agreement on how much they, they should pay. So I'll give you just a little bit of background here. I've got my notes on my computer. Um, the EPA... 
the U.S. government filed four claims of relief, claims for relief against uh, Cummins. The first was uh, selling vehicles that were not covered by a certificate of conformity, installing defeat devices on a vehicle, removing or rendering inoperative emission controls, which were already on vehicles. And then the last one, which is always my favorite, providing false information on the certificate of conformity applications. So if your listeners are not aware, every vehicle that is sold in the US, every new vehicle must have a certificate of conformity from the federal government and the EPA stating that's illegal to buy, sell, and operate on the highways. And those certificates of conformity don't only apply to emissions regulations, they also apply to safety regulations, they apply to mileage regulations to the degree that those would apply. But of course, they, you know, in part, they address emissions. And when you have a new vehicle that you're manufacturing, you give a test vehicle to the EPA or the federal government, depending on who's looking at it, and they run the vehicle through their process to determine whether it conforms to the Clean Air Act and the other uh, safety regulations that we have in the U.S. And one of the allegations in this case is that the vehicles that Ram was making, the trucks, which specifically are, let me just pull it up here, uh, 2013 to 2019 uh, Cummins-powered Dodge Ram vehicles, those were not conforming in the first place. Okay, so right off the factory line, say you have a 2014 Dodge Ram, that Dodge Ram didn't conform with the EPA's uh, regulations with the Clean Air Act. And the reason was because, and I know that this is something that a lot of people have been wondering about, the reason was because the uh, emissions controls that were present on the vehicles contained a tune or a program, the OBD, that was doing essentially the same as the Volkswagens were doing, and it was altering the emissions controls while the vehicle was being operated on the roadways. So not while the vehicle was being operated during a test run or while it was being evaluated by the EPA or the state of California, these vehicles were operational and functional and compliant during the time that they were doing that they were being tested for emissions controls in a controlled environment. But once they got on the road, the uh, programming from Cummins and from RAM basically was shutting off certain emission controls and increasing the NOx that was being put into the environment. So those vehicles from the factory that came with factory tunes, they were not conforming. And the reason that this is a big deal and the reason that the Cummins settlement was so high is because when you have a violation of the Clean Air Act and a non-conforming vehicle from the very start, the penalty is not the same as it is for a defeat device, which is anywhere between, you know, four and six thousand bucks. You average for about five thousand dollars per vehicle. The penalty for a non-conforming vehicle as a whole is $37,000.
So you take all the vehicles that were sold, the Ram 2500 and Ram 3500 from that time frame that I was talking about, which was 630,000 vehicles, and you multiply that by 37,000. Let's just do some quick math here. The penalty could have been around 2.4 billion, but uh, it was negotiated down, obviously, for certain, for you know, uh, to probably to settle the case, right? So that they could get a reduction, so everybody didn't have to go to court and have the uncertainty of going to court. So, not only did you have violations for non-conforming vehicles, you also had the individual violations for the individual defeat devices that were installed on the vehicles themselves. And those carried with them a penalty of another roughly $5,000 per vehicle for all 630,000 of those vehicles. The Clean Air Act provides that the EPA can lump those together into one penalty per vehicle. So they can take the higher penalty per vehicle $37,000, or they can treat those independently of each other. In the lawsuit, they were attempting to get a penalty for the individual defeat devices on the vehicles. They were also trying to get a penalty for the certificate of conformity violation that happened when the vehicles were sold. And then ultimately, probably those those penalties were bundled together and then they reached a settlement on the total amount of the bond. The defeat devices part is where I got a little confused because when I think of that, I think of like an EGR delete, <clears throat> a DPF delete, tuning to turn off all the codes. Was it, did they, are they using that phrase or those words in the same way that I'm thinking of them? Or are they looking at it like there was some programming that altered the vehicle and that's considered a defeat device by itself or was it actually like a dealership or somebody blocking an egr or doing something with the exhaust system it was not a dealership or the factory having a defeat device like we would think of it like a straight pipe or an egr or egr blocker plates installed it was the tune was okay. the actual defeat device the emissions controls, certain of the emission controls were still functional on the vehicle during the time that it was operating, but some weren't. And the ones that weren't were significantly increasing the NOx pollution in the atmosphere, and they weren't meeting the requirements under the Clean Air Act that the EPA has set for you know latent emissions for mobile sources, which is just vehicles. But the, it wasn't like a dealership or a end user was removing emissions controls. These were emission, these were emission defeats that were embedded in the factory tuning for the vehicle that basically told the vehicle when I'm up and I'm driving around on the road, I'm going to turn off certain emissions controls that this vehicle would should that should be operational on the vehicle. And we're just going to pretend like everything is working properly from the factory when in actuality, the emissions were much higher than they would have been if all the emissions controls were working correctly. Okay. 
I had a question from a listener that I found very interesting and you'd be the perfect person to ask um, because they've followed some of our other episodes where we've talked about either individual cases with shop owners or other things. And I'm paraphrasing the question they had, but they said, okay, if these vehicles were delivered from the plant to the dealership as not conforming to the standards, the emission standards, and a shop or an individual changed that, so they did a defeat device, they did tuning, how can you make something that's not compliant more non-compliant? So is there, does EPA look at it and say, well, you only made it 5% non-compliant with this tune, but this other part did it 50% non-compliant. They were really curious how this factored into some of the other episodes, some of the other topics that we've covered as far as non-compliance, defeat devices, fines, prison sentences, all that stuff when they're taking a truck that's non-compliant from the start. Yeah, that's a great question and something I hadn't really thought about it that way, but uh, it's, it's a very interesting way to think about it. So um, without uh knowing exactly what the epa's approach would be to enforcement on vehicles that were already non-conforming my assumption would be that at some time during their life cycle whether they're sitting there idling or at some time when they're on the road if some emissions controls control devices are functioning properly and those are removed it would still be a defeat also, we go back kind of to the um, to the statement I made earlier in the podcast, which is that some of the emissions controls were functioning and then they were turned off during the programming. If you have a real defeat device like an EGR blocker plate uh, with a you know a straight pipe uh, SCR, you remove the SCR. You are you or a company are still taking those products off the vehicle. And so you probably still would be liable for any damages that result to that. In order to make the prop that argument feasible that your listener is making, the emissions after they did something to a 2013 to a 2019 Dodge would have to be exactly the same as they were with the non-conforming vehicle. And the chances of that are pretty low, if not impossible, because it's obviously going to be significantly more, uh, it's significantly higher pollution if the vehicle has no DPF at all, as opposed to a DPF that isn't working exactly correctly or it's not working the way it's supposed to. One of the other things that, uh, that I know people were, people were curious about um, and I chatted with a shop owner about it is I said, Hey, have you, do you find that your customers or truck owners are asking you about it? And he's like, yeah, they are. They're asking me, you know, what do I do with my truck? So I know part of what the settlement yeah. is, is not just the monetary fine, but then was it like 630,000 trucks are under recall to go back to yeah. the dealership and, and I'm not sure exactly what they're going to change. I'm sure the programming, but I'm not sure about the other things. So there is an action that they have to take with these trucks that are on the road. Yeah, that's right. So the EPA is really big on mitigation, which just means righting the wrong that they're claiming occurred when the defeat devices were active on the vehicle. They're also really big on correcting the problem. I mean, you know what happened with all the Volkswagen TDIs. you can't continue to drive them forever because at some point they have to go back to a dealer or they have to go back to a shop and the shop is required 
according to their agreements with the manufacturer to put those to reinstall or recalibrate all the emission controls on the vehicle. So people were taking they were taking part in the recall. They were turning in their Volkswagen TDIs for something else, and they were getting like twenty five or thirty thousand dollars for those vehicles. I can't remember what it was, but then you know, Volkswagen couldn't really do anything with them. So they just put them in the parking lot of the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit and left them there. And some of them are still there and some of them have been sent back to Germany or whatever. I don't even know what happened with them. But at some point during the life lifetime of the vehicle, it's going to require a service at a dealer or a shop. And they're not under warranty anymore until you get the OBD repair and until you get the new tune and the emissions controls installed correctly. So at some point, you're going to cross paths with somebody who is required by law to reinstall the, the um, or reconfigure the OBD. So what the, what the settlement says with regard to that specifically is that, uh, let me just pull it up here. Cummins has to work with Fiat Chrysler and its dealers on a vehicle recall and repair program that will remove all the defeat devices from the affected vehicles free of charge and bring the vehicles into compliance. The repair only uh, involves software updates and Cummins has already started the recall on the vehicle. So all the vehicles are under recall. If you don't get it fixed, at some point you're probably going to have to unless you're a mechanic yourself. But at some point, they're going to have to reinstall the um, emissions controls on the vehicles. Then Cummins must repair at least 85% of those vehicles in order to be compliant with the settlement with the EPA. And they have to do that within three years. Then the company has to offer an extended warranty covering the emission control system on the affected vehicles that received the replacement software, and they have to test the repaired trucks with supervision from the EPA over the course of a number of years to make sure that the trucks are compliant. So if you, if you bring your vehicle back in under recall, you get an additional warranty on the emissions controls, which RAM must repair free of charge, which I'm assuming they would offset some of the cost with Cummins. And then those vehicles, some of those vehicles have to go back and be retested. But at the end of the day, unless Cummins is able to convince 85% of truck owners out there that those vehicles are, that those vehicles must be recalled and repaired, if they don't do that, they're in violation of the settlement and they presumably have to pay additional fines. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you, why isn't it a hundred percent or, you know, 90, 98% or why is it, why is it 85? Um, yeah, it's probably just what they negotiated, but <laughs> what the mathematicians or, you know, the accountants thought would be reasonable. I don't think it would be reasonable to require Cummins do a repair on every single vehicle that's out there because most people are not going to want to do it, but 85% represents 15% that are still out there. And I guess it's good enough. I, I don't know the methodology between getting to the 
I think the big thing with uh, the story when I read it was we've talked about it, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight times over the years, different parts of the emissions questions and what's going on. And there's always that segment of feedback comments that I see where people don't care. They doesn't, they don't think it affects them or anything like that. But when you have an iconic brand like Cummins, even if you own a Power Stroke or Duramax, you know who Cummins is. They've been around forever and you think, they got in trouble with this or, or they had to do a settlement with it. It just, I think it sheds light on just how serious the EPA yeah. takes what they're doing, that it's at this level. Now it's not just a shop here, a shop there. Or this isn't on a website anymore. It's going to one of the most iconic brands in, in automotive. Well, the, the allegation was, and the reason that this is such big news, normally these things, what did we say before? 2.4 billion dollars yeah. worth of um you know theoretical non-conforming vehicle penalties usually these things settle for 50 percent or less of the actual epa fine nothing ever settles for the actual epa fine that's in the clean air act okay this is a pretty high percentage i mean this is about 60 percent maybe a little bit more of the actual penalty that 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 Cummins would have been required to pay if they went to court, lost, and then the judge ordered that they pay the penalty in the Clean Air Act, which the judges almost never do. There's a bunch of other factors that they use that we've talked about before related to those penalties, okay? The allegation is the EPA and CARB went to Cummins and they said, your vehicles are not conforming or your motors have defeat devices on them. And then Cummins lied about it. And then they continued to lie about it until they finally got to the settlement. They denied it and they lied about it and they denied it and they lied about it that this tuning was faulty, which is exactly what happened in the Volkswagen case. In the Volkswagen case, Volkswagen denied any wrongdoing all the way up until the actual the actual lawsuit with the DOJ. So in this situation, one of the claims remember what i said before was that the that cummins made a false coc application and what that means is that they failed to disclose the tuning that was defeating the all of the emissions controls or at least some of the emissions controls on the vehicle when they submitted their coc then they were confronted by the state of California and the EPA, and they said, you did a bad thing. These are not conforming, and they denied it. They said, no, everybody always gets in more trouble for lying about the thing that they did wrong than they do coming clean right out of the gate, right? So I think a big part of the reason that the settlement was pretty high, the $1.67 billion settlement, is because Cummins lied about the programming and the tuning that was on the vehicles. And when they lied about it, that really made the EPA upset. And they said, they, we've been doing this for the last 15 years, since 2007. We've been dealing with people who are defeating the emissions since 2010. You guys know you're doing it, knock it off. And they denied it. So they're, they're seeking to deter this behavior in the future. For sure. I know we may never get the answer to it, and I know we don't like to speculate, but I'm just curious as to why. Um, 
why they would do that because that Volkswagen thing was huge when that happened and it was just it, it got into mainstream and we may never know that know that answer but I think a lot of truck enthusiasts that was a thing oh they, I know the answer because the emission controls suck <laughs> that's why I mean like straight up you get better mileage better uh performance longer longer lasting motors if if they're not completely compliant like that's the trade if you want to make them compliant then you have to give something up and in this case or in, in case with any diesel engine it's the longevity of the motor it's the reliability of the vehicle it's the performance of the motor it's the fuel economy right all four of those things you're giving up if Ram goes to market, this was a huge thing in the Volkswagen case. The reason that Volkswagen cheated the emissions was because they couldn't meet the marketing promises that they made at the time that they made them. So they were promising 45 miles to the gallon, you know, 140 horsepower, whatever it was. All of the numbers that they promised, they were, they were not able to meet. And because they weren't able to meet them, they were looking, they had a terrible decision to make. Either we cheat the emissions and we meet our marketing promises, or we comply with the emissions and we don't meet our marketing promises. We get hammered in the industry. We get hammered with the consumer. Volkswagen's lying about the performance. They're lying about the fuel economy. My TDI only gets 28 miles to the gallon, right? right. That's why. That's why they, they think they, meaning engineers, uh, executives, people who are making decisions, they think that there is a way that they can cheat the emissions where they won't get caught, but it's proving to be impossible because you get all these watchdog groups in the state of California and the federal government who are all conducting these tests, and you can't change what's coming out of the tailpipe. Right. So you know, you can make aftermarket parts that do a really good job of increasing economy, increasing performance with everything compliant. But from the factory where you're 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 having to also deal with marketing promises and the reliability of the motor and the reliability of the vehicle, it's really hard. And that's why they do it. Do you think it's potentially more common than the average person thinks? And everyone did it. Every company. I I don't know how many companies are still doing it. I was still surprised to see this 2013 to 2019 time frame that we're talking about here. But every company did it. Daimler Chrysler did it. Chevy, GM, uh, Toyota, Mitsubishi. Actually, I don't know about Toyota. I think they did, but I'm not 100% sure. I know Mitsubishi did it. I know BMW did it. Every single company that you've heard of did it. And it was all for the reasons that we just talked about. If you're making a promise to consumer and you're not meeting that promise, it's way harder on the checkbook than it is paying a $1.7 billion fine. So I think it's still going on out there. I think there's still emissions scandals yet on the horizon uh with the oems with the oems but i don't know uh i i think uh at some point 
the cost, the deterrent effect of the penalty is going to exceed the marketing effect of having vehicles that perform at a certain level. There's always guys out there like my dad who they want good performance, they want good fuel economy, but really the most important thing is to, that their vehicle complies with the law. Um, there's a lot of guys like that. There's guys out there who want the performance, they want the fuel economy, they don't care about the law. And then there's people out there who are actively trying to avoid complying with the law because whatever, they hate the government, they hate you know, the Biden administration, they hate the EPA, there's always guys like that. So I think there's, there's more scandals on the horizon. I, I feel pretty strongly about that. Yeah, it was a really, I think it was just huge, maybe because of it, it was Cummins for me, which I've always been a fan of. And then the dollar amount and just wrapping our head around it, there was just so, so many questions. And it's helpful to chat with you because you have so much experience in different parts of it and you break it down in a way that I can understand it and we can all understand, you know, what's, what's going on. Yeah. And it, uh, gosh, it was huge news, really huge news. Yeah. Um, let me just take a look at my notes, see if there's anything else I think is worthwhile talking about this. I mean, Cummins is going to be fine. They've got a massive following. They make amazing products. They're going to be fine. It is a little surprising to me that Cummins has been under enforcement before. Um, and they've done settlements related to emissions in the past. This is the most recent one. The other ones you probably haven't heard of. Um, there was one in 1999 referring to, uh, you know, pre-emission diesels. And then there was one in 2006, which I believe related back to violating uh, other emissions uh, controls that, again, were pre-emission, pre-DPF SCR emission. Um, so Cummins doesn't exactly have a pristine reputation of complying with all the all the rules and the regulations of the EPA. But they the 19 to 13 vehicles are in question. I haven't seen anything about the 20s to the 24s. Yeah. So I'm assuming they are compliant now and they are in a position where they're, you know, gonna sort of play by the rules because no matter what way you cut it, Cummins makes amazing products. So they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Or even the, the range of 2007 and a half to 12, um, you know, like before yeah. that, when, when those systems were really problematic when they, when they first came out. Um, yeah. yeah that, that definitely helps shed a lot of, uh, a lot of light on it. And like you said, there might be more OEM emissions scandals in the future that, uh, that, yeah. uh, that we can chat about, but we can I talk about yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, as far as other court cases around that we've talked about, I haven't seen any movement on eBay, really. Uh, I haven't seen any movement on EasyLink. Uh, I think those are still kind of ongoing. I know that we have, um, you know, uh, still these active criminal cases and the EPA is still going full, full bore after anyone and everyone that you have that you can think of. So it's not like these are going away anytime soon. They haven't slowed down. We were hopeful before because of the compliance initiative, they were going to slow down, but you know, 
uh, as of right now, things are things are still hot and heavy. So keeping me in pl into plenty of work and giving me things to talk about on your show. <laughs> One of them I wanted to ask you is I just did a recent episode um, about infractions on pre 2007 and a half trucks. Uh -huh. Is that something you're seeing that is more common or has it always been a steady stream? We just don't hear about it because I can't think of many, many. What kind of infractions? Like say EGR turning off EGR stuff or um, anything like that on a truck that didn't come with a DPF. So yeah. like we've, think of a Duramax or think of a six liter, um, you know, with, it, with its EGR. I'm not sure about Cummins because it's kind of a different setup, but is that something that has always been kind of somewhat out there where it's just, to me, it just took me by surprise that there were EPA yeah. settlements pertaining to something without a DPF. The, the six liter EGR stuff has always been a top priority for the government uh, because there's so many companies out there with a with a defeat or a fix for it. They're called, you know, EGR repair kits. Um, the so the six liter EGR stuff has always been really high priority for the EPA. I have seen enforcement actions related to performance tunes on non EGR vehicles that have not gone anywhere. So if you're looking at like, if, if you were talking about an enforcement action on six liter injectors, uh, seven, three race tunes, real big smoke, low pressure type stuff. Um, if you were talking about, you know, anything to do with the 12 or a 24 valve Cummins, uh, anything, that does not relate to EGR that the EPA has tried to stick their hands in has gotten squashed immediately. I've told the EPA no on multiple of those types of cases. Um, but the 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 six liter and six four EGR EGR stuff have always been, you know, high priority. So we you will see some of that. I had a shop owner message me. And he had a visit from the EPA at one point in time, I think pertaining to newer trucks. And then he said they came back a year or two later and they wanted to look at IDIs that were in his shop. They wanted to look at some of the older yeah. trucks, you know, the OBS stuff, different ones. And I thought, wow, I've never heard this or nobody's ever told me that before that they'd actually look at something that was yeah, that far back. Yeah, they do like, uh, might know the guy you're talking about. Um, there's a lot of guys with the seven threes and the, you know, the real, I wouldn't call them early gen motors, but early gen in comparison to like what's become a modern motor um, that where the EPA, especially in region 10, which is Seattle, Portland, um, you know, Pacific Northwest, California, they've really wanted to get their hands on those, you know, Roland Cole seven three type guys, and it hasn't played out the way they wanted. They can't do it. They're like, there's no emission control to defeat on those vehicles. They have some, but they're not like not really apparent. Uh, they're not easily identifiable, and so they huff and puff and 
blow your house down with with demands and RFIs and things like that. But there's just there's also not enough of them on the road for it to really make a difference. I mean, how many seven threes are still on the road? I don't know, but thousand, the guys, the guys that got them love them, and they're they're really proud of them. So they let you know they got them. Well, they're <laughs> never going to get rid of them for this no. exact reason. Yeah. Right. The same way as getting a 2003 Duramax is like finding a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You, <laughs> you know, you can get your hands on one and you don't have to worry about the mission controls and there's parts for days. And, but yeah, I mean, the EGR stuff, they've always been pretty big on, but after that, it was, you know, the real, the real, you know, Goldilocks parts are the, are the straight pipes and the the you know highly illegal tuners that you find i got you well i was glad i was able to ask you that because it's something new i've been following and just try to stay you know up to date on on everything that's going on but i appreciate your time today Stuart, educating us sharing your knowledge as always and uh look forward to chatting with you again in the future when some new news or you know something going on that yeah. we need we need an expert on to, to chat with us I'll let you know anytime I see something big in the industry. And if your listeners have a Q&A or uh, something else big happens, just let me know. I'm always happy to come on uh, and uh, talk to you about whatever's going on in the industry. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code 2024 diesel 40 for 40% off MSRP. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear if you need a knife for hunting, fishing, EDC around the job site. Got a ton of choices to meet any budget, different choices for um, handle design, blade steel, blade shape. So head on over, check them out, use that code, save some money, get some cool gear. Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen at 23 Diesel, John, J. Cole, all of our other Patreon supporters, all of you who follow on YouTube, podcast apps, follow us on social media. We appreciate all your support here in year eight of the Diesel Podcast and look forward to bringing you more of the content that you guys want here in 2024. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.